With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For one more beer for me, exile means quality, so savagely. podcast thanks again to exile brewing company this podcast coming to you from the exile brewing company studios i am john miller joining me tonight is rob howe from hawkeynation.com and man there are some things coming at us fast and furious this time of year uh media day was just this past week talk to rob about that we will talk to rob about that a little bit as well as some uh other media avails he's had over there uh, for practices and some photos, just a lot of things to get to. So let's do that, Rob. Let's let's start with um, Media Day. Um, you've been to a number of these. My last one was 2012, so it's actually been five years ago now, which is a lot longer than I thought it was. But um, anything different jump out at you this year? What were your big maybe takeaways uh, from Media Day this year? I think it was just more of a continuation of what we've talked about and, and looked at most of the offseason, John. It's just there's so much change. You know, there's a new quarterback, there's a new offensive coordinator, two new coaches on, on offense, new special teams coaches. It's just there's a lot of new. And, you know, it's we all want to analyze it and, and we do the best we can with doing that. But really, this is one of those seasons and I'm trying to you, – you're better at this than I am at, at doing comps, but – just there's so much newness going into this season that we it's really going to take till we get into a game or two before we really know what's going on we can we can speculate and talk about what might happen but really i mean they're not going to let us know what the i mean we we know it's going to be what kirk likes to do we, we know what the the foundation and, and the beliefs are of him but beyond that how they can you know take advantage of of different things that Brian Ferentz might like to do or Ken O'Keefe might like to do or Kelton Copeland might like to do, what the quarterbacks are strung out, what this group of receivers can do. There's just there's so much new and so much so much unknown. That's really for me, that's the that's the crux of this offseason and, and I don't think we're gonna get any answers on a lot of it this month, other than they'll have to name a starting starting quarterback at some point, I would think. Yeah, I mean I think if you try to go back and, and find historic analogues for this team, for the question marks they have. It's difficult to arrive at just one. I think if you go position by position, it's more easily to focus in. I mean, defensive line, I don't know if they've had maybe this much of a rebuild, if rebuild's the right word, since maybe 2005 with, uh, you know, well, but that wasn't even really a rebuild because you had King and Cruel, but you also had a Webema and Madison who were, you know, Gosh, maybe I'm getting that wrong, but I know in 2005, Webema and Madison were young, 
but but you had some veterans on the inside, so that's maybe not a fair assessment. They're young there. Quarterback, 2008 jumps out at you with the competition between Stanzi and Christensen. I, I ultimately feel Noah Stanley's going to win the job, or Nathan Stanley, rather, is going to win the job. But that, that jumps to mind there. The last time receiver was this inexperienced, man, was it um was it what was Mo Brown's senior year? Was that O three or yeah, that was O three. When when Brown was hurt, um they were didn't have a lot of bodies at receiver. Ramota Choa wound up leading the team uh in yeah. receiving that season. Jinko so got hurt, I think, that year, but I think they had Solomon still. Uh or was Solomon at JUCO that year? Could be. I can't recall. But because we're get, we're getting back, you know, fourteen years now, which is a long time. So yeah, so that jumps to mind. Now, I I, I can't say that you know some somebody said two thousand seven to me, you know two thousand seven. Yeah, they they were making a change at quarterback. Um, that team wound up being six and six. Probably should have been seven and five, but they lost to Western Michigan there at the last game of the season. Otherwise, they would have gone to the Insight Bowl. There's just a lot of question marks, as you talked about, and, and at key positions. The one thing we know they have is a really good offensive line. I think they've got very good depth, even though a lot of it's unproven, at tight end with some exciting playmaking potential. You know, in looking at the HawkeyeSports.com photos, and you were there, you know, a few days ago for a media veil, uh, see a lot of pictures of, uh, you know, Max Cooper, um, a few of Brandon Smith talking wide receivers now. Nick Easley's been featured. That video the other day with Akram Wadley uh, and James Butler. You know, I saw Easley getting loose deep a few times, and then you know the Cooper kid just doing his patented one-handed catches. So it's going to be some youth that's going to play there. So yeah, it's it's tough to know what to expect. And then on top of all that, as you mentioned, you know, how's Brian Ferentz going to call a game? What's that's Iowa going to do? That's the different dynamic for me. Kirk, for all those years, really didn't have much staff turnover at all. Um, and then five years ago, you know, he had a new offensive coordinator, and you know, Phil Parker took over the defense. And but the defense is pretty much held, you know, to what what they've done, what they did under Norm Parker as well. There's some variations, the Raider package and stuff like that. But for the most part, they do what they do. Um, but just. So much change in personnel combined with the change in coaches to me is a, a little bit different than what we've seen probably since they first got here. And, you know, how that shakes out, it's it's hard to say. And, you know, is there a philosophy to play younger guys now? Because um, I think although we've seen more true f- freshmen get into the game, special teams-wise, you look at guys like, you know, Devontae Young last year and Adrian Falconer the year before – they're they're playing they're being used but they're not being utilized as much and you just wonder this year if those guys will see more action as as true freshmen because it seems like at wide receiver i don't know if they have a choice they don't have a choice and sometimes you know what i'm okay with it you'd rather have experience there you'd rather have a mcnutt and a djk lining up outside to help a young receiver with an offensive line in a running game like this um or a young quarterback rather but uh, one of the things that really concerned me during the Davis era, the Greg Davis era of offense, was it just seemed like the the passing game was too complicated. When 
true freshmen couldn't get on the field and we'd always hear the whispers and sometimes not even whispers that they're just not picking things up because of their sight reads and things of that nature and I just really hope that you know they've they've simplified things again I mean and it's not that Kirk played a bunch of true freshman receivers prior to Greg Davis but you know Dominique Douglas played I can't remember um, if Hill was a freshman under Ference or not and played uh, or not but they're going to be forced to do that and Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that brings them out of their comfort zone, but maybe it's not a good thing because they probably would prefer not to do that, um, not to play those guys either. I, I made this point the other night with Steve. This offensive staff, it, it, you know, it, sometimes the unknown is exciting. Um, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, I was predictable, I was boring. Well, you know what? There's not going to be a lot of predictable right out of the shoot. Maybe they do fall into old patterns. And, and like you said earlier, I don't, I don't think that we're going to trace to, stray too far from what Iowa football has been under Kirk Ferentz now that, that Brian's running it. But think of all that brain trust Brian has in that room. And Kirk's always said that they all get together, all the offensive coaches during the week, they all agree on a game plan. Well, you've got Tim Polisek in there, who's been an offensive coordinator. You've got Ken O'Keefe in there, who's been an offensive coordinator, and he's spent the last five years in the NFL. Um, Kirk's been an offensive coordinator, and he's been in all those Iowa offensive meeting rooms for the last 19 years, and then several years before that when Hayden Fry was there. There's a lot of brain trust in there offensively. Yeah, without a doubt. And it's I don't think you talked about, you know, Greg Davis's system just not working. I don't think it was a good marriage between he and and Kirk's philosophy from day one. And we saw that in 2012. They were able to overcome that a little bit in 2013, or yeah, 2013. Um, 2014 was a very up and down roller coaster type season. You had to, the quarterback competition between Bethard and and Rudock. That kind of turned into a mess. 2015, they kind of put put it together. Um, they had some nice pieces there, uh, you know, at all the positions, and they had experience. And then last year, it kind of fell flat on its face again. It just never really took hold with any type of consistency and that's what we need to see if these guys can work together well and their ideas mesh together that's the key to it and it ha- and all of those ideas have to mesh with what the head man wants to do because we all know he's behind the, he's the wizard behind the curtain and all this you ca- he's going to have a say and some control over what is done out there and they have to work within those confines and I think we're, we're in a good space because I think Brian can, can reach him on some maybe some more innovative things, more progressive things, um, and maybe understands what his father wants. If anybody does, he does, and can, can do that and, and do it successfully. And then I, I think from what you see, what you mentioned, Polishek, their offense is similar to what Iowa did at North Dakota State. Um, you know, O'Keefe's been through this. He, he's been in the NFL. It's a pro-style offense. There should be enough minds in that room to do to, to come together and, and likeness in what they believe to have some success. It's to me this year. It's going to come to you know how they how they come together, just in terms of how quickly they can come together with what they want to do and how quickly some of the personnel matures, specifically at wide receiver and tight end. I think they're set at running back. I'd knock on wood. Hopefully there's not a, a rash of injuries at that position. But I, I think they're loaded at running back. I love what I see from Torn Young and Tokes at Kinnerabati. To have those guys as your three and four, um, 
you know, and and maybe Torin Young. I think Torin Young may play more than some people think he he's going to with those two other guys. He's the big back. He's the hammer. Um, and I noticed the other day he was working with the first team where Butler was working with the second team. Young was working in with the first team. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get five to ten carries a game as a hammer. Yeah, especially early on, um, for sure. You know, Butler's coming into a new system now. A lot, a lot. Who knows how how different the nomenclature will be from from Davis to Brian Ferentz? But you know, you'd mentioned a minute ago that you know Iowa got some things going on offense in 2015. There were 128 Division One teams in 2015. 64 would be the middle, which would be average. Iowa's total offensive ranking that year was 72nd. Yeah. So you know we're we're not gonna like start throwing parties, and I'm not saying that you were saying that either. But you know running back. At least physically, we we know what Akram's capable of. We we've seen what James Butler's capable of at Nevada for back to back years, and I and I really think at this position, those skills can translate to the Big Ten, and I'm not worried about that at all. Um, but when you talk about Torn and Tokes and and their physical builds and, and and their talent levels, can you remember a time where Iowa has had this quality of depth one through four? No, and I may take it to six, John. If you cl- if you include, you know, um, Kelly Martin and Keyshawn Bryan, um, both pretty good high school running backs. I mean, you hope that you don't get to them this year. But if you had to, it wouldn't be. And, and the kid, again, and I know you, you know where I'm coming from this. It's not a Sam Brownlee situation. And thankfully, they had Sam Brownlee. <laughs> In some of those situations, but they're not that I, they would. It would have to be a disaster for them to get to that level. Um, so yeah, I think, and it'll be interesting to see as we talked about, you know, the innovations and, and possibilities on offense. And I know um, Akram teased the wildcat formation on that video that the university released. I don't. I don't think we're going to see that. But some just some innovative ways to get you know some some playmakers, some guys that can do things in space, get them on the field. However, however you can do that, make put the defense on the defensive, so to speak. Make them think. I mean, they ran a set Monday that I that I liked. It was three three um, three wide right, I believe, with two tight ends, quarterback, and Wadley in the backfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and they Preach. they they ran out of it. Preach. Preach. Yeah, and I, I know that's something that you've talked about. I, I, I think we're going to see more of that this year. Um, and I think they could surprise some teams with some of the things that they do. I have a feeling they're going to catch some teams off guard. And I think Brian's a pretty good offensive football mind. Um, and I'm really excited to see what he does. Maybe he falls flat in his face. Maybe I'm, I've got this totally wrong. I just don't see him doing that. No, I agree, and, and I yeah, I've been saying for years, please run out of single back sets, out of spread formations, and and that formation group that you just talked about, with three receivers and two tights, think and one running back, think of all the formational flexibility that you have out of that personnel package. You can flex. Let's say you've got Noah Fant and T.J. Hawkinson. Well, it was Fant and Picar, but you're right. If they had Fant and Hawkinson in there with those three receivers. That's five wide. You can flex yeah. them out. Yep. You could go trips to one side, twins to the other side, both split out wide, and you run out of that. You run out of it. Because what you've done is is you've got, you know, if you're playing against a three, four, I mean, you've got a five-man box or six at most. 
and and you got Wadley in that kind of space, heck yes, man, give that to me. Or, you know, you can have that in there. The defense has to pick their poison. If you, if you, if you if you if you use that formation and you flex the tight ends out and you're going four or five wide out of it, man, defenses are going to have to. Okay, do we bring in our nickel package here? Do or do we just play it straight? And if we if we start showing a tendency that we bring in the nickel package, well then Brian Ferentz says, all right, we're gonna have our we're gonna have this. We're either gonna run out of the the, the flexed uh, tight ends and receivers, or we're gonna have both our receivers come in. We'll have a wide receiver come in motion down to the inside of the line of scrimmage, and then we're gonna power up against your nickel personnel out of that package. I mean, it's and Brian talks about this all the time. You know his hashtag attack on Twitter. Uh, attacking defenses where they're weak. That's exactly the kind of difference I expect to see with him over Greg Davis. I don't expect to see some type of Bill Snyder-esque or Hayden Fry wizardry uh, on offense or, or just going vertical all the time. But I do expect to ying when the defense yangs, just like what I outlined. Yeah, it's it's taking create mismatches and then take advantage of them. And they just did not do that enough in the last five years. And Greg Davis right out of the shoot, talked about taking advantage of his personnel, and I just never thought he was able to do that, and maybe it was just he couldn't get on the same page as as what the, you know, with Kirk Ferentz and what he wanted to do. There were times, I mean, you, you look at different games like the Nebraska game last year where, you know, they, they finally did something different, but there wasn't enough of that. The Ohio State game, I think it was in 2014, where they used yeah. the tight ends to throw them off. There just was never enough of that. It was so predictable, too predictable, and I think that's the difference with Brian Ferentz. There won't be as much predictability. You know, those of you listening to this who listened to me on Sound Off through the years, this will sound familiar to you. Far too often when Iowa is on offense, it has allowed the defense to dictate the terms of engagement to it as opposed to Iowa's offense dictating the terms of engagement to the defense. Rob just brought up one very memorable example at Ohio State in 2014 where in that first half Iowa's offense came out. They were the ones that dictated the terms of engagement, and they had Ohio State back on their heels for that first half. But far too often, it's, okay, we're just going to do what we do. We're just going to line up in this set, and we're going to keep running our head against the wall until it breaks. And sometimes it does. Um, you know, like Jordan Canzeri in, in 20, uh, was it 2015, several times, you know, they would keep beating their heads against the wall like that in Nebraska. And then, bam, you get two big, long running plays, and there he goes. But those were too few and far between. So defensive line, uh, A.J. Epinesa is showing up on some of these uh, photo galleries and there was one on that was released on Wednesday and I went and looked through it and I saw AJ lined up with his hand on the ground I think from a right end position based upon his hand placement and what I could see and I also saw the linebacker behind him was Josie Jewell which would indicate he's getting reps some some reps with the first team or that could have been a situational pass rush type thing you know this He's probably going to play more than I ever thought that he was going to play. And maybe, Rob, it's because Iowa's not had many, if any, players of his ability come to the university the time I've been covering them. So I just expected, you know, this guy could probably use a year of development and then, you know, his second year in the program, that'll be a time when he can really step in and make a name for himself. But I, I, I don't think that they can keep this kid down. I, I think he's probably going to play a lot more than I expected. Yeah, the closest that I might be able to come to is maybe Matt Roth 
um, who was somewhat ready when he got here, but I think AJ's even more advanced than that. Um, and I think he'll determine how much he plays. Um, I, I don't think they're going to, I, I think they're going to, you know, if Matt Nelson's healthy, I think Matt Nelson, Anthony Nelson, uh, Parker has, those are your top three. And then you work AJ in, but he could demand more playing time with his play. He's capable of doing that. And I think that's, that's a great position to be in. If you're Iowa, that's a great position for him. Great position for the coaches. Um, and I can also see them and, and Matt Nelson. I talked to him on media day. He's working some on the inside. And so is AJ. You can do some really neat things. I, I say neat, maybe that's a little corny, but you could do some, some creative things when you have guys like Matt Nelson and A.J. Epinesa that can move inside with an Anthony Nelson and Parker Hesse on the outside. And do, you can do some, some good things. And with Reese Morgan and Kelvin Bell coaching them, uh, that's one position I'm really interested because I think Cedric Lattimore's got a chance to be real good too. I think Brady Reef does, but I don't. I don't think he's as far along as Cedric. Um, and, and budget is healthy, which is great because he's just a fire hydrant in there. He just his 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 low center of gravity and his leverage. He's the perfect guy to put in there with three really good athletes around him. And I think Iowa has the ability to do that. Yeah, I was sitting here trying to find. Matt Roth's statistics at Iowa um, as a freshman while you were talking. Let's see if I, I thought I might have found something. Maybe I didn't. He may that have was... moved him during the year from linebacker to end, but I could be wrong on that. Yeah. I, I, I'll look into that, too. I really remember it being 2002 where he was moving. You know, I remember that Michigan State game in 2002 where they moved him to end. But in 2002 against Michigan State, they lined him up a defensive tackle because they noticed a weakness in Michigan State's either left guard or right guard. Um, and they thought Matt's quickness and power could blow it up, and it did. I mean, it just flat destroyed it. And he was a freakish athlete like A.J. is. I mean, he was a good wrestler, um, played fullback in high school, was a really good fullback too. Um, and that was a loaded defensive line. That was the best defensive line in the Ference era. And he found a way to get in there and, and make it, you know, impact it. How, you know, it wasn't a huge impact, but enough to, to help the team out. And I think AJ will do that definitely initially. And I think that, like I said, he could command more time as the season goes on and he gets more comfortable. Yeah, I, I think Roth moved to the defensive line in the, in the uh, off season between '01 and '02, and but anyway, you're right, and 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 that it's just been few and far between. And Matt Roth had his pick of really really good schools to go to, but thankfully he and uh, Blake Larson shared time in a hot tub one time down in Miami <laughs> on a recruiting visit, and that. Uh, I I remember that picture. Yeah. Those were the U days, man. Those were the heavy U days. They yeah. were still in the we are the U. No doubt about it. Quick timeout for sponsor break, Exile Brewing Company. Rob and I'll be back in a few minutes. Folks, Exile Brewing Company wants me to tell you about a big party they're going to have. Their five-year anniversary street party that's coming up on September 16th. Plenty of beer and fun will be had as well as live sets by some very talented bands. Tickets on sale now, $20 in advance, $25 at the door during that fifth anniversary party on September 16th. The Brew Pub is going to be closed for regular service. Entry to the fifth anniversary street party, grounds, beer hall, patio, and annex bars 
will be only for those who have tickets. Tickets must be purchased in advance for $20 or at the door for $25. Cheers to five years, and here's to five more. Okay, Rob, we've spent a lot of time talking about football. Anything else that's concerning to you? I mean, you know, Kirk said at Media Day that, you know, the, the punting job is an ongoing battle between the the freshman kid coming in that I can never pronounce his name correctly, uh, and Rastetter. Um, you know, I, I got to think if that's even, you go with the kid that's on scholar, that that's the walking on and, and has got four years with you, and, and you live through some of that. Kirk has some history with, you know, Jason Baker and going through some trials, and trials sometimes are the only way you learn. What are your thoughts about uh, the secondary, and do you think it'll be a two-man kicking contest? Yeah, I was surprised when he said the kicking job was open with uh, Keith Duncan and uh, Miguel Racinos. Um, but when you look back at it last year, they did need to use Racinos when they went deep. So that's still, you know, the area for Keith. And I talked to him on, on media day and I talked to, to Rastetter as well. Um, that, that, you know, that's the key for both of those guys is being consistent. And for, for, for Duncan, it's getting more distance. And I think Racinos is, has made a, a big leap forward. Um, and again, that's a good problem to have when you have some depth at that kicker position. Um, so we'll see how that, I still think Duncan's going to be your short yardage guy. And maybe you go to Racino's for large, you know, longer yardage, which I'm fine with. I don't have a problem with that. Um, and then Rastetter spent a lot of time with Jason Baker in this off season. You mentioned him trying to get his game together and be more consistent. So we'll see there. I think there could be some bumps, but um, you know, they got lucky with, with Ron Kaluzzi last year. I, I don't, know if they're going to have that type of consistency that would be a lot to ask out of a first year punter um but i think they'll be okay there secondary i mean getting a chance to talk to brandon snyder and and he he downplayed it but you definitely got the sense that he was trying to come back um and if he can do that that's a great boost to that secondary because then you've got you know gervas who will have experience by the time he comes back. That gives Clayberg a little bit more time, Amani Hooker. Um, and then the, the corners also will have time, you know, Ojemudia, uh, Rugamba, and Josh Jackson. So there's depth there. And there's it, the good thing, John, is some of these guys have been in the program now for multiple years. It's not throwing them to the wolves. This is the next stage for them in a developmental program. It's their time, and we can see them. We'll be able to see if they can do it. Yeah, and a lot of them have – got their feet wet in in real-time situations and meaningful situations if it's starting out in dime or nickel personnel packages or people getting hurt and coming in and, and making spot starts or playing significant snaps in a game when the game's in doubt so it, for a lot of those guys it's not going to be necessarily a first time so or at least on the outside which is a um, a very good thing here um did you watch any of the uh, Iowa basketball game that they played in Germany on Monday or Tuesday, I rather? Um, I did watch some of it. Yes, I didn't watch the whole thing. It was it was at times tough to watch. I was wondering to myself if these are the German All Stars from a league. What does the rest of that league look like or organization look like? Dude, yeah, that was that <laughs> that, was, that was bad. That was it. Kind of brought like. I think they may have gotten better competition in the PTL. I, they, there's no question. And I wrote, <laughs> I wrote that today. There's no doubt. I think just the PTL team that had, you know, like two UNI players on it um, right. w- would be better competition. Those guys weren't good. That said, and, and you've gotten a chance to see Luca a lot. 
And I don't want to sit here and say that I was down on Luca. I, I wasn't down on him. Obviously, Louisville offered him, and I think what Indy did Indiana offer Luca as well. Indiana, Notre Dame. Yeah. So he had really good offers. Yeah, he had really good offers. So I wasn't saying the guy was going to be a stiff. I just had expressed some concerns that he played in a in a in a private school league, and you know. It, not not that that doesn't mean there's not good competition. I just felt like, you know, maybe he's going to be in for a little rude awakening. So I didn't have high expectations for him as a freshman. I've, I've, I felt all along that Jack Nungy was going to be the guy that, that shone a little brighter this year and that Luca was going to come along and be a good player. But you got a chance to see him a lot in the primetime league. And I watched your videos, and I was impressed with them. And I watched this game last night. I've watched it actually twice. That's how sick I am. Um, I'm. I wrote this today on on our HN Extra forum, and I actually listened to uh, Pat Hardy's uh, podcast today, and 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 he expressed similar sentiments. I think Luca is one of the three or four most advanced offensive skills wise advanced players Iowa has had in my lifetime as a, as a center, as a true center. I think back to Michael Payne in eighty one, eighty two. And Payne averaged, I think, over 11 points a game. Greg Stokes was also a freshman on that team. Now Stokes, Stokes' developmental track went up and to the right, and Payne regressed each year, probably in part due to Stokes. Um, I think of Guy Rucker in 96-97. He averaged 10.6 points per game, was pretty deft down the block. He, too, regressed after a bit. Um and there was one other uh, there was one other one that I'm now forgetting and it was uh, gosh striving me pardon me what what did Jared Reiner do as a freshman I, I know he played quite a bit but I know I didn't, I'm guessing it wasn't a whole lot but he was a pretty talented guy that came from a small school right um, he was I think he averaged was it four or five points a game let me let me log in here and I can uh, why don't I just read what I wrote this morning on the um, HN Extra Forum, which is our uh, premium forum on the site. Come on now, let's go. There we go, got it. Okay. Um, yeah, I had Michael Payne and Guy Rucker. Those are the two that I that, that I really thought of the most. Um, Brad Lowhouse, one point two points per game. These are true freshman numbers. Les Jepson, one point per game. Les wound up averaging fourteen. Point nine, and I think 10 rebounds a game as a senior, and he played in the NBA, by the way. A.C. Earl, 6 points per game. Russ Millard, 5.2. Jared Reiner, 3.1. Wow. Sean Sonderleiter, 2.0. Adam Woodbury, 4.9. Um, I don't know that is going to average 10 a game, not because I don't think that he could on some other Iowa teams in the past. I certainly think that he could. But I think this team's too deep. They have too many forward four or five options or four options in there and, and he won't have the opportunity to do that I I just the kid knows what to do around the rim and he's tough and he's coordinated there I was really impressed now again we, we both made fun of the German all-star team talent but you saw him in the primetime league I mean the what he did against Germany is that representative of what he did in the PTO? Well, I guess he averaged almost thirty points a game in the primetime league. Do you do you think I'm I'm stretching here with what I'm saying? Um, no. Um, and and with Luca, the thing that 
that sticks out to me, in addition to all the things that you said, his skill and, um, you know, his ability to do things around the rim and even step out and face up, um, is he's got a great motor and he's got a lot of energy. And I noticed in the primetime league and, and a lot of the veteran guys, you know, they, it's not that they don't care, but they understand it's the primetime league. Luca was diving on the floor. I mean, he was he was Aaron White type energy and and you know that type of drive to win everything, no matter what you do. Um, and that's a great you know characteristic to have when you're you know almost seven feet tall and two hundred and thirty pounds and skilled to have the drive to want to do it. He's going to have some ups and downs. I think there's going to be times this year where he looks like the better of the two freshmen. There's going to be times when Jack looks like the better of the two freshmen. They're going to hit some bumps in the road just because they're freshmen, particularly on the defensive end. And we saw that with Tyler Cook and Pencil and those guys last year. Um, That's where they struggled the most, on the defensive end. Um, And I think that's where Woodbury was better than a lot of – the true freshman sense that I've seen. He was better at, you know, outlet passes and screening and defense, the little things. And he continued to do that. And his offensive game never really came along to where I think he could have gotten it. Um, But he was really good at the things that Garza and Nunji and those guys and and even Creener still, they're going to have to learn. They're going to have to learn how to play that position, you know, at a high, at the high major level. I think offensively, they'll be able to score. They'll get their buckets. They'll be able to do that. It's those little things that that I think will be how quickly they advance and how how much they are, you know, how how good they are initially. And I, and I think they'll get they'll learn that as the season goes on. Yeah, and I think that's well said. And I, and I was specifically speaking from an offensive standpoint, and that that's why I, I don't think that he's going to you know have numbers that rival Payne or Rucker. But I think just from an offensive skill set, he has a great foundation and more advanced than I thought. And, um, you know, uh, Adam Woodbury would get on the floor after loose balls and and have that type of energy and edge, and and I like to see that. So, um, you know, Isaiah Moss was 5 of 6 from three-pointers in that game, and that's good. Jordan Bohannon looked twice as fast as he did last year, but I'm guessing that's because a couple of times he was going up against that five foot three Danny DeVito dude that looks like he was going to go out and smoke a pack of Paul Malls <laughs> after it was over. Uh, but, you know, things like this, it's, it's to me, it was just fun to see some basketball. And, you know, football's right around the corner. I'm certainly excited for that. But, man, I, I just think that we're on the precipice, uh, precipice of embarking on a, a pretty dang fun three-year run for basketball and you know Joe Wieskamp this summer uh, out at the Adidas you know uh, event he turned in a great performance I think Rivals.com had him on their all camp team on you know like their their all-star team 11-12 players from there um, you know he, he may wind up being the, the best recruit of the McCaffrey era um, maybe until Patrick comes along uh, if he keeps developing and my gosh this there, there's a lot of fun times ahead. Yeah, and I think this year is obviously that next stage in that process um, of building this thing back up. Um, you know, they had their they had their run there with the you know with the Woodbury, Gazelle, Clemens, Utah class. Um, you know, which followed Aaron White and Devin Marble um, and Matt Gatons. You know, that was like almost like the first 
I don't know, I want to say maybe first chapter of, of the McCaffrey, first few chapters of the McCaffrey era. I think this gets a little, the story gets a little deeper here. Um, and I think this year it's going to come down to, as we talked about, how quickly those guys can learn in, on the interior to protect the rim, which they had nobody doing last year, which was really tough to watch at times, and combine that with, as you said, if Bohannon can be a little bit quicker on the perimeter, Isaiah Moss can be more consistent defensively, um, Ellingson, Christian Williams can expand his offensive games, Daly takes the next step. If they can piece it together and, and be strong enough on that perimeter, they have enough on the inside to, to make this a, a very good year and, and build it as, a, as they're going forward. Um, but this could be a really good year. I, I, I know we look, we want to look to the, to the future, and I understand that. But I, I think this could be a good year um, if, if things fall into place and guys mature um, from where they were last year. You know, let's talk a little bit about the future more. And I'm not, I agree with you, dude. I, I can't freaking wait for this season. So I'm not look. I'm not looking past it. I'm just excited about the big picture. I think one guy, John, that, that I think we we haven't because the new guys have taken up a lot of our our imagination and our time. I think Tyler Cook is poised for a monster year, man. I, I just I think he's going to have a year where he starts to be talked about on a national level. He's that good, and some of the stuff he was doing. And again, it's only the primetime league, but just his explosiveness and strength. He's light years ahead of where he was last year, and he was pretty good last year. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. I kind of probably do overlook that and just I focus more on the depth. I focus more on what I think they can do with the depth without really remembering that, you know, Tyler Cook was a four-star player, and he might be the the best recruit thus far of the McCaffrey era. Yeah. Um, you, you had an article today on um, – Xavier Foster, 2020, big man from Oskaloosa. Iowa got a commitment, kind of a surprise commitment for the 2018 class over the weekend in shooting guard C.J. Frederick. Uh, and then, you know, they offered last week or two weeks ago maybe uh, 2019 point guard D.J. Carton out of the Quad Cities. And that's a kid who's really starting to pick up his game and get more offers and, you know, with all due respect to Jordan Bohannon, I probably shouldn't even say this because Bohannon's proven himself to, you know, certainly outplay his recruiting rankings. Um, you know, Fran McCaffrey's yet to land that, you know, big name, so to speak, point guard. And I'm not saying Carton's that, but he's starting to pick up a pretty good pedigree. Uh, talk about those guys. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with uh, the the Frederick commitment. Um We've had a couple stories on him when he first got offered and again when he visited. Um, and people can read more about it on the site, but his uncle uh, played with Notre Dame when Fran was an assistant there, Joe Frederick. Um, so they had, the family had a lot of you know familiarity and, and a comfort level with Fran and, and then eventually his staff. So I think CJ, as soon as he got out and saw Iowa, he was here for the Michigan football game last year when everybody rushed the field. So that left a good impression with him. And just he got to see what the fans are about at Iowa. Uh, and I think that left a great impression with him. And he wants to come bad enough that he's willing to walk on that first year if he has to. Because mm. that, 
as of now, Iowa does not have a scholarship to, to give him um, unless somebody were to leave. Um, Fran alluded to, to Brady Ellingson being a senior, um, and he is academically. There's a chance that he could leave as a graduate transfer. And I'm not saying Brady should leave or pushing him out the door or Fran's pushing him out the door. It's just one of the possibilities. Um, you could have. I think you know, something's going to open up. Yeah, I think something could open up. And if not, he's willing to pay his first year. And if you can get a guy that's got offers from Indiana, Nebraska, and Xavier that's willing to walk on. That's pretty good. First, that's not too shabby. That's um, pretty dang amazing. Yeah, and he can shoot it. I mean, he's long. He's 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 light, and he needs to put get stronger. Um, but he's only you know, obviously still in high school. But he can shoot it. He can definitely stroke it, and that's a it's a really nice addition. Um, I, I wonder. The one thing I wondered is when Connor's going to get a scholarship at this point. I don't I think, think that he is. He he probably isn't. And if he or if he does, it may not be towards the end. And we still have to see how baseball plays out and all that. But that's another uh, a whole other subject. Javier Foster was here last week. Actually, he visited Weiss Camp and Patrick McCaffrey were at practice that we went to that the media went to before the team went over to Europe. Um, and I did the story on him today, just talking about that. He seems to want to take it slower with his recruitment. He's got offers from Iowa State, Illinois and Creighton already with Iowa. So he's got those four offers going into his sophomore year of high school. Wow, so that gives wow. you an idea. And he played with the he played at the with the 16 uh U uh USA basketball. He he went to tryouts for that and did some camps with that this spring and summer. Um so he is definitely another national kid. Uh DJ Carton um offers from Wisconsin. Um, you know, he, he's got a really nice group of offers. The, the, the interesting dynamic to that recruitment is that uh, Dean Oliver is the lead recruiter for Wisconsin for DJ Carton. Um, so that, that that dynamic will be interesting to see how it plays out. And I know Carton likes Wisconsin a lot. He visited here um, this past Saturday. He's got visits coming to Wisconsin, and Missouri also has offered him. So um, there'll be a battle there as well. And I don't see either he or Foster making a decision anytime soon. Um, uh, Carton's in the 19 class, so he will not sign until, um, you know, another whatever it is, 16, 18 months from now. Um, and, and Foster's a 2020 kid, so he's really in no rush. But I don't know, John, you, you've been around this state longer than I have. I got here in 97. It's hard for me to remember in-state talent being this good in this period of time when you consider, you know, Connor McCaffrey, Wieskamp, Patrick McCaffrey and Carton in that 19 class, and Xavier Foster. That's pretty – that's a – you're talking about five guys that are pretty – um, you know, well-known nationally right in your backyard. Yeah, I mean, I think you go back to Collison and Heinrich who were in the same, um, you know, they were in the same recruiting class and, you know, Iowa was making their lame duck coaching year. Otherwise, I think Collison would have gone to Iowa. He committed to Kansas and then Iowa State had their, uh, I think that was during the Larry Eustachy situation because Heinrich had committed to Iowa State and then all that kind of blew up. I think it was actually, that actually may have been Tim Floyd. Or well yeah, I'm sorry, not you Stacy, but yeah, the Tim Floyd going to Chicago Bulls, you're right. I'm getting my timeline mixed up. You're exactly right, because you Stacy was there in the early two thousands when they probably got robbed from going to the final four. Um but not this many. 
not this many in this concentration. I, I can't remember there being a time like this. And, you know, Nicholas Bear, uh, you can throw yeah. him in that. Uh, a guy who walked on at Iowa who's, you know, that, uh, that German broadcaster the other night compared him to uh, Larry Bird, if you uh, made it that far into your video broadcast. I did uh, not. Fortunately, he's an American, but he's got a German name. Heard that multiple times during that. That guy, that guy worked his butt off. By the way, he did a really yes. good job. Yeah, uh, he did. Yeah, I, I was trying to find his name to just send him a note. I mean, that way he, he really did well. But yeah, th- th- it's a pretty amazing time. And, and so far, I was doing. You just mentioned that Carton um, has a Missouri offer, and yeah. you know, the last four, five, six years, a Missouri offer for an Iowa kid, you wouldn't probably worry too much about this. But Missouri's the new hotness. Um, Quanzo Martin has things rolling really well. I mean, they, they are recruiting at an elite level right now, so probably about five or six years away from them going on probation of some sort. But at any rate, that's just my opinion, not Rob House, since he's the journalist and I'm not. I'll say those things. But, yeah, um, I, I wouldn't see why Foster would, would make a decision anytime soon, and, and, and Carton has some time too. So, But fun times. Fun times. Yeah, definitely. It's... Things are looking up for Iowa sports, and that always makes me nervous. <laughs> you pessimist. <laughs> I just always am waiting for that next shoe to drop. You're hanging, but, you've, you've, you've spent too much time around Hardy in your life. Yeah, you, you that could definitely be the case. But I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm jacked up. I, I think it's uh, – I'm, I'm really excited for this football season because of those those unknowns we talked about at the beginning of the podcast and and just the intrigue that's there and then basketball i just think i just look at the wealth of talent and just think wow this could be a this could be a special time in iowa athletics yeah i mean if you're a pessimist you're probably right half the time but you don't have a heart broken if you're an optimist you're probably right half the time and then you get your heart broken so maybe it's maybe it's safer to be a pessimist but i'll continue to wave the uh wave the banner um i think that'll do it for this installment of the hm podcast thank you very much to exile brewing company for their support continued support second year in a row we thank them for rob i'm john we'll talk to you soon